cry to him who lacks sense. But a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Amen. Before we read the text for the evening sermon, it would be good for us to pray together. Let us pray. Thank you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for making yourself known to us in words that we can comprehend with the help of your Holy Spirit. And we do need the help of your Holy Spirit that we may read aright, understand correctly, respond with faith and with repentance and with obedience and bring honor to your name through the blessing that you pour out upon your word in our hearing of it. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we looked at passage of scripture concerning the events following uh, the birth of our Lord, and we do the same again this evening, looking at Matthew chapter 2, Matthew 2. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but begin at verse uh, 12, begin at verse 12, and uh, take, take the passage down through verse 21. Now, we're diving into the middle of the narrative. The Magi have presented themselves in Jerusalem looking for the king, the newborn king of the Jews. They've had their private meeting with King Herod, and they have since then gone uh, to Bethlehem, directed by the star, and they find the child in the house, Not a babe in a manger, but a child in a house with his mother, Mary. And they fall down and worship, presenting their gifts. So we'll take it up at verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another route, another way. Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in the region 
who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But Herod died. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And we'll end the reading of God's word there. <clears throat> Uh, no, we won't either. I'm going to read another passage, Revelation 12. In many ways, it's the same event. It is the same event. But it's described in terms of the power behind the visible events. Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in, the he in heaven also. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his, their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows 
that his time is short. And we'll end the reading of that chapter there. <clears throat> what a contrast we see in Matthew chapter 2. Two kings. They couldn't be more different from each other. There is the king who is not recognized except that God's angels made him known to shepherds sometime earlier. And God brought the Magi to worship before him and his mother and his father Joseph. They knew who he was. But he is of lowly birth to say the least. You might say incognito. Here in the passage in Matthew 2, he is a toddler under the age of two, but not an infant any longer. They're in a house, not an animal shelter. But this child is politically powerless. His parents are poor, and yet he is a king, the king. And in contrast, we see <clears throat> the other king, <clears throat> a raging king, a king intent on murder, a king who is a powerful tyrant, and from Revelation 12, we see the power behind him. But the Holy Family flees as refugees in the night to a foreign land. Saved by the intervention of angels and dreams sent by God. Because however powerless the little king is, he is the son of God. And he is being protected by his father in heaven. Well, let's talk about Herod. He is the illegitimate child. I mean, he is the illegitimate king, excuse me, the illegitimate king of the Jews. He's an Edomite, not a Jew. He paid for his kingship from Rome in violation of the law of the Lord in Deuteronomy, forbidding any other but a descendant of Abraham from being a king over Israel. And he is an evil, terrible man. We see that in his actions in Matthew 2. He lied to the Magi, trying to manipulate them. He wanted to kill the baby. and Any person who might threaten his kingship, he had killed a son of his. He had killed others in his family because he thought they threatened his kingship. He killed all the boys in the vicinity of Bethlehem under the age of two since it was apparent that the Magi weren't going to tell him where the child was, so he just was going to wipe them all out. That would be the end of it. Now we might ask, what drove Herod and people like him? From the world's point of view, he began well. He was well-educated. He was personable in his youth. 
Uh, he was an athlete. People liked him. But over time, his lust for fame and glory, seen in his buildings, fabulous building projects. You've probably seen pictures of Masada and other examples. His lust for wealth, for power. changed into fear and hatred and paranoia. And in that, he was like so many tyrants down through the centuries. Jesus well summed up this kind of ruler. The rulers of this world lorded over their subjects. Yes, that's Aaron. He lorded it over his subjects. In contrast, to the king who came not to ser be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we saw in Revelation 12, the dragon. Who is Satan? We see him seeking to devour the child, that is to destroy him. And Herod is just his tool. Think of Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, where the Apostle Paul tells us that our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the demonic powers of heavenly places, no longer in heaven, cast down now, but that's their nature. Herod and the dragon failed. Why? Because God, the Father, was protecting his son with angels and dreams and the gifts of the Magi to finance their flight into Egypt and their stay there. And by death, the death of Herod. Herod died. We read that in verse 19, when Herod had died. This is good news to Joseph. Good news sent to him again by an angel. All of Herod's dreams of fame and glory, dead. His wealth and power divided among his heirs. Nothing for him to enjoy any longer. His usefulness to Satan, dead. His threat to Jesus, dead. Now Herod thought that by tricking the Magi, he could destroy a threat to his rule from the birth of some supposed Messiah. When that did not work, he thought he could protect his power by brute force and mass murder. He thought... He had control of his life and power over the life and death of others. He was wrong. He did not. And death came to him under the wrath of God, his judge. Herod died. Herod died. Every Herod dies. 
Psalm 146, verses 3 and 4, pick up this theme. Do not trust in princes or in presidents or in prime ministers or in dictators and strong men who seize power. Do not trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, his plans perish. Blessed is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, second point Jesus lived, he did die, but he rose to life again triumph. Herod died, but Jesus lived. The powerful man died, the helpless baby or toddler lived. Protected by his father in heaven, while Herod's soldiers rushed to Bethlehem and committed terrible murder. Many times the dragon sought to kill the child of the woman through the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. If he could tempt Jesus to sin, he would end his mission on earth and protect his own designs against God. In Jesus' own hometown, the populace became incensed at what they perceived to be his presumption as a mere son of this town. What's he, who's he think he is? And even when his own disciples betrayed him, Judas, many attempts on the life of Christ but the dragon and his Herods could not kill the Son of God, Jesus. Not until the hour of his appointment with death that had been planned by the Father with the Son and the Spirit before the world was made. No doubt, the devil was quite sure that through Judas's betrayal, the kangaroo court trial by the priests and Sadducees and Pharisees, the mocking of Herod, the son of Herod, the cruel whipping, scourging by the soldiers, their mocking, Pilate's cowardly betrayal of justice, and finally Christ's own agony and death on the cross. No doubt the dragon thought, I have won. My great enemy is defeated. But when Jesus cried out on the cross before yielding his spirit back to his Father, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, that was a cry of victory. Not of relief, but of victory. 
It was a cry announcing the defeat of the devil and the triumph of God's plan for the salvation of sinners like you and me. Jesus said, had said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So Judas and the Sadducees and Pharisees and lawyers that conducted those travesties of justice, the trials of Jesus, they could not take Jesus' life. He laid it down, and they were permitted to do what was planned for them to do. Not so that God's plan would be defeated, but so that God's plan would triumph. He offered himself in death to atone for all the sins of all his people in all time. Your sins and my sins as we trust in him. He took away the power of Satan to accuse any of God's people of sin. We saw that in Revelation 12, the celebration in heaven. The Satan can no longer accuse the people of God. He fully paid the wages of sin for all those who will be brought to turn to him and to trust in him. And from his throne at the right hand of his father, he now sends the Holy Spirit to give life to the dead, to give grace to the wicked, to give faith to the unbelieving, to bring us to himself and make us sons and daughters of the living God. On the cross and in his resurrection, Jesus defeated the dragon. He now lives and reigns forever as king in heaven and king over the rulers of this world. He is the ruler of the rulers of the world. All things are under his feet, Paul says in Ephesians 1, for the church, his body. By his word and spirit, he is calling lost sinners from every nation and kindred and tribe and tongue to himself and into his kingdom, building his church, which we are. But let's move ahead a few centuries. We read in Revelation 12 that being cast down to the earth in defeat, the dragon is full of rage because he knows his time is short. He knows he is doomed. Someone once said, you have to at least admire the perseverance of the devil. I'm not sure that's true, but it is true that he does not surrender. And he directs his hatred now against Christ, but he can't reach Christ enthroned in heaven. He directs his hatred against the people of Christ, his church. And he has been asserting that hatred and animosity toward the church of Jesus Christ for 20 centuries now. The dragon keeps sending Herod's 
to oppress and harass and hound and persecute and imprison and kill Christ's people, Christ's church. He aims to stop the spread of the gospel. He aims to stop the work of missionaries. He aims to stop the grace of God working in the hearts of Christian children. But the dragon and his herods have not succeeded and cannot succeed. Every Herod, while he lives, while he does his evil deeds, does only what God permits and what serves God's larger purposes, which are often mystifying to us. And then he dies. Herod always dies. And just in my lifetime or the lifetime of some of you, the creator of the thousand-year Reich died. Joseph Stalin died. Mao Zedong died. The leaders of ISIS died. Chairman Xi will die. Putin will die. The rulers of Western countries who think they do not need God and can place a fence around the church of Jesus Christ and put limits on the preaching of the gospel, they're going to die unless they turn to the Lord and seek his mercy. The church has her victorious Christ. Savior, risen Lord, victor, ruler, the giver of the Holy Spirit, the one who is the resurrection and the life. We may look at the news, listen to the news, read the news, and, and tremble at what may happen in our world in this coming year. It may very well be terrible things. It will be terrible things because the world is still falling and wicked people still do wicked things. But we belong to the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. John chapter 11. So brothers and sisters, for every look at current events, look five times to the heavens, to the right hand of the Father, and see your triumphant and reigning Savior, whose life there is a guarantee that his church will never perish, and you will be his forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we don't need to tell you that for us, we live in uncertain times, but they are not uncertain to you. 
It was no surprise to you that Herod sought to destroy your son in his incarnation. It was certainly no surprise to you that he surrendered his life in accordance with your eternal plan to make atonement for our sins and to rise again in triumph to be our King, our Savior, and our Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that however much we may be concerned about our safety and well-being of your church in this world in these troubled times, we pray that we would keep looking to Christ, be strengthened by what we see by faith, what we see revealed to us in your word, what we see of our Savior interceding for us, ruling the nations on our behalf, sending the Holy Spirit to instruct us, to encourage us, to build us up. Help us to keep our focus upon Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.